Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, rising recession fears, the impact of higher interest rates on the housing market, and what rising COVID-19 cases and China lockdowns may mean for the economy. Joining us to discuss all of this is AAF's Douglas Holtzagen. Doug, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, Kyle. And as you know, this is episode 100, so it's a special moment for both of us. Yeah, I was gonna. I I, I can't believe we finally made it here, but we made it here. Uh, when we started this, what three three and a half years ago? I never. I was like, all right, we might make it to episode 100 one day, but to come this quickly, I was very surprised. So. Well. Good moment for us. I hope I hope our listeners have enjoyed the previous 99 episodes and we'll do everything we can to keep their expectations high as well. Start on the next one. I promise them this one's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's make it great and jump right into things. We'll start with inflation and fears about the a future recession. Many forecasters are putting the risk of recession at about 35% in the next two years. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, so that's an estimate that came out of Goldman Sachs, got a lot of attention. And the the basic um, line of reasoning is the Fed is going to move to counterinflation. And that means it's going to raise interest rates and it's going to sell off its, its portfolio, which put further upward pressure on interest rates. And uh, in doing so, they may overdo it. And so they're basically putting a, a one in three chance that they'll overdo it and, and push the economy into a recession over the next two years. No reason to dispute that logic. I mean, that that is a genuine concern. I'm sure the Fed has that concern uh, because what they're being asked to do is actually quite difficult. If you look back historically, uh, they'll point to a couple episodes where they feel they succeeded, but the reality is that anytime that the inflation rate's been above 4% and the unemployment rate's been below 5%, we are there. They have been unable to bring inflation down without causing a recession. So, it depends on where you want to stack the deck. If you if you're you know pessimist, you can find lots of evidence that we're going to have a recession. If you're an optimist like the Fed or the administration, you want to make sure things go well. You can point back at other episodes, but it's a it's a real concern. Interesting. Yeah, let's talk about the Federal Reserve. We've talked about this many times as we've talked about inflation. Federal Reserve is central to all of this, and as you mentioned, they've never successfully accomplished a so-called soft landing after one of these lowering inflation without causing high unemployment. What do you think of the Fed's current strategy? Uh, the Fed is currently way behind. They convinced themselves, uh, it seems quite sincerely, that that the inflation uptick was was transitory and wouldn't gain uh, any sort of momentum and become entrenched. That turned out to be wrong. So last summer, they still had uh, this notion that it was transitory. They kept their foot on the gas all through 2021. And we're now in a situation where if you look at the gap between the problem, which is inflation, and the tool that they can use to control that inflation, which is real interest rates, interest rates adjusted for the inflation, uh, the gap is as wide as it has been since the 1970s. And that, that's inflation that took a little under a decade to get under control. So that's a little daunting, right? They're way behind. And they're talking uh, a tough game. They've had lots and lots of Fed officials out talking, talking about not small increases in interest rates, but 50 basis points, half percentage point. Um, you know, president of the St. Louis Fed, Bullard, talked about, you know, 75 basis points. So they're they're floating very aggressive uh, strategies to deal with the inflation. And now we'll see how they follow through. I mean, that that's that, that's the key. 
is all talk so far. Uh, they're going to have a meeting in May, and we'll see what they do. Uh, but they're behind. They're talking a good game, and now we got to see what they actually do. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the narratives around there, you know, uh, around all this. You know, President Biden and congressional Democrats um, are claiming that 70 percent of the increase in inflation is a result of Putin's war on Ukraine. How do they get to this number and what do you make of this argument? Um, well, I mean, the, the calculation is correct. It's also indefensible. Um, uh, the calculation it just looks at inflation between February and March and somehow pretends that the rest of his tenure didn't exist. And so you look at the increase in inflation from February to March, and you look at the part that comes from energy prices and, and assign that to, to Putin for invading Ukraine, um, then you get 70% of that increase comes from the energy prices. Um, but that's a crazy way to think about the inflation problem. And the inflation problem uh, was 1.4% year over year in January of 2021. It's now 8.5%. So that's the increase, 7.1 percentage points. Uh, Putin's contribution of 0.9% at the end is nothing. And, and the rest of it is the problem. Yeah. I mean, as you already mentioned, this, it seems, you know, just from a, from an anecdotal standpoint, this has been going on since last summer. I mean, they all said it was transitory last summer and now, and now we're, it seems like they're, they're just trying to get it to that neutral political talking point to, as they, they go into an election season. Well, they, they bear responsibility on both fronts. Um, uh, part of the inflation is genuinely supply chain stuff, and they always talk about the supply chain. And it's global, so we didn't do it. But that's that misses the point, which is it's not that the supply chain somehow blew itself up. It's that we had a pandemic, and people couldn't work, and they couldn't go to jobs and transportation. And this administration bears some responsibility, certainly in the U.S., for those problems. It didn't do the get get the testing in place. It didn't anticipate a wave uh, last fall and last winter, and so that, that part of the supply chain is the public health problem, and they bear at least some responsibility there. And they certainly are responsible for the excess spending that was the American Rescue Plan, and it just falls out of the data that that's when the inflation accelerated dramatically. So, um, yes, are they trying to, to, to avoid that responsibility? Absolutely. And they're pointing fingers everywhere they can. They've pointed them at meat packers and every big company and Vladimir Putin, uh, but that's just um, you know political excuses. Interesting. Let's turn to the housing market. Uh, U.S. mortgage applications slid for the sixth straight week as mortgage rates climbed to a 12-year high. Um, what does this mean for the housing market and the larger economy? Uh, it means that the housing market is going to cool. And, uh, you know, it, ha it has been red hot. We have seen both uh, home prices and rents go up at about a 20% annual rate uh, over the course of last year. That's an enormously hot shelter market. And, it has to cool down because that's a reflection of an economy that is completely overheated and generating all this inflation. So what does the Fed do? Its mechanism for slowing things down is to raise interest rates. That shows up in housing markets as quickly as anywhere. Mortgage rates have already uh, gone up significantly, as you noticed. Um, then, you know, mortgage applications go down. That, that means there's fewer people um, uh, taking out mortgages to go buy homes. And we're going to see that housing market slow down. When people are no longer buying homes, we don't build homes. When you don't build homes, you don't put refrigerators in them, you don't put furnaces in them, water heaters. That has big impacts on the rest of the economy. So slowing the housing market is a way to slow down the broader economy. And that's what the Fed has to do. It's tough to hear that. Like you, what you want to be able to say is we're going to make this inflation go away without you know, slowing the rest of the economy or anything. But the reality is you can't do that. 
And, and so the reason central bankers hate inflation is that puts them in a position where there are no good choices. You either live with the inflation or you live with slower growth, and they don't like either. I've seen many, you know, a couple of articles and, you know, reports basically that the housing market is unfortunately the best way for the Fed to tackle inflation, it seems like. So it's going to be it's going to be tough in that market for a while. Remember, home prices are very high. So if you own a home, it's not like that's going away. It's just you want to slow that growth. And so mm-hmm. that's the that's their job. So there's also a decline in new home building right now. Uh, the housing inventory is at the lowest it's been since 1999. Um, builders are dealing with soaring costs of materials from inflation, the lack of labor right now, and lagging delivery times. Um, how will this affect all that in the market? Well, I think what you'll see is uh, the market is going to overall slow its growth. The place where it's been really most active has been in, in very expensive homes. So. We haven't seen a lot of building of the, the sort of more affordable starter homes that people have seen. So a, as you knock down the focus on the on the expensive houses, which uh, has been the focus because inputs have been so expensive, you get the inflation under control. The starter home becomes a, an economic proposition again, and we see the market even out a little bit. But it, it's going to take a year, year and a half for us to see these impacts. Interesting. Let's end on um, COVID-19 today. Uh, we're seeing a surge from a new variant so I wanted to ask you about two issues. First, in the United States, we have we have not yet been uh, heavily impacted by this. Um, in fact, state and local governments have been relaxing restrictions over the last few months. We just now learned that the uh, um, masks are no longer required on, on transit. How do you see both government and the public reacting um, if we do get another big spike? Well, I think there are there are really two issues here. Uh, issue number one is will we know if there's a big spike because we're we're getting a lot more uh, home testing of going on and and people don't report results when they get a positive home test. So this sort of case count might not be a very big indicator of what's going on out there on the ground. So the thing to keep an eye on is actual hospitalizations, severe cases of COVID-19 that have to be dealt with. That's the threat that you overwhelm the hospital systems. There's no evidence of that going on in the U.S. right now. So um, for the moment, we are in, in pretty good shape, and we have, despite you know the concerns of many, uh, a lot of people vaccinated and boosted, and we have lots of therapeutics, and we have um, the ability to do testing. So I, I think we are as well positioned as one might imagine at the moment. I am a little concerned about keeping us in, in well positioned as we get into the late fall, early winter the most likely time to get a surge in cases as people go back indoors and and uh, the transmission becomes simple. We'll, we'll see. I'm going to keep an eye on that. From an economic point of view, the thing I'll just note is with each wave, we have seen less economic impact. So, you know, the first wave came through, we lost 20 million jobs in a month and, you know, had this enormous uh, uh, downturn. Next wave came through in the, in the late fall and early winter of 2020, it didn't have that big of an impact. Um, it slowed down growth. We got one negative employment report, um, got through it, and then picked back up in, in 2021. We grew quite well in 2021, despite the sort of cases we saw then. So we seem to be getting better at uh, managing through uh, waves of the virus. I expect that to continue. The tools are getting better. The, the awareness is getting better. And, and, you know, I think you know this as well as I do. The, the American public's done. I mean, they, they really have had it with uh, the extreme COVID restrictions. And and so that's not uh, a viable route. We have to use things that allow people to con- conduct their lives in the presence of the virus. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, for, at least from my perspective. Anecdotally, I know a lot of my, my friends out there are, do, are done with this. I also think it's interesting that, you know, the tools are pretty much there for us to, right. to deal with this. I get exposed. One of my friends, you know, texts me, hey, I, I'm COVID positive. I saw you in the last three days. I do the, I do the at-home test. Um, you know, the reporting might not be there, but I stay home if, if something happens and that, which I think is a good thing. I think that, and then we just have to watch the hospitalization rates to, to, deal, to deal with this going forward. But I think that's good news. The other thing to remember is not in every moment. And so, but, but over the long span of the life of uh, the coronavirus, it will mutate in a way that will make it easier to transmit because that enhances its ability to live and is less lethal because it's not good to kill the host. And so, the selection mechanism is one that leads to, yes, more people can get COVID, but the implications are less severe. And, and I, we've roughly seen that as well. It's a different story in China right now, um, where the government has imposed widespread lockdowns on, on their, they're, they're using this COVID zero policy um, to combat the pandemic. What does this mean for supply chains that are still not back to normal? Uh, I'm worried about this. This is on my list of things that could go wrong in 2022 that could lead to uh, slowing growth and perhaps a recession in parts of the, of the world. I think the reality is that the, the Chinese uh, vaccine just doesn't work. It, it, its efficacy was about 60% at the outset. The mutations to Omicron and beyond, um, it's not addressing those effectively. So they're, they're getting a lot of cases and they don't have a lot of people who are vaccinated. And so their approach has been to you know, as you said, lock it down, zero COVID, that's our goal. But if you're locking down Shanghai, 25 million people, you're in trouble. And um, that suggests to me, we're not seeing the real data that's that's uh, actually happening in China. And we could have a lot of people who are sick and a lot of facilities which can't be run. And that's further problems with Chinese growth. And China's a big part of the global economy. So if it slows, the globe slows and supply chain problems for those inputs that are made in China. So it's it's a concern. I, I don't think it, anyone should be too thrilled with what's going on in China right now. Yeah, I mean, how many how many products do we have that are just, you know, come through China that, you know, you have the made in China stuff. So, you know, that's as we're trying to deal with inflation, re recover supply chain issues, that just seems like it could be a potential sore on, on the economy going forward. Well, it, it's a particularly troublesome one because you know, in the dull mechanics of economics, when you get these supply shocks that things become more expensive, that pushes up prices, but not because there's increased demand, but because at the same demand, prices are higher. The only way to control the prices then is to lower the amount of demand, but that means you're both reducing output and getting higher prices, and that's a bad combination. We lived through that in the 70s, it was very unpleasant. The Fed really didn't want to be in this position again. Interesting. Well, something we'll have to keep an eye on as we continue on into 2022. Doug, thanks very much for joining us again for episode 100. I can't wait to see what our next uh, 100 look like. It'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Doug. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.